0: get some of this. The CBS Sports MMA podcast returns and it's back with a bang. Break out the red panties for Rich Baby. Oh, that's what I'm talking about another loaded show that is sponsored and underwritten by that same performance enhancing audio you can test for it, but you can't find it even though it's always there and the Brian Campbell is in fact the voice that you hear. Don't get that thing twisted my good broski, the great king Mo Muhammad the Wall, off in camp of course preparing for his December 15th return on DAZN against former Bellator champ Liam McGarry. We certainly wish the the let's say lineal money weight champion well as he looks for that comeback from the KO loss to Ryan Bader, but there will be a lot of changes coming to all three of these CBS Sports fight podcasts headlined by Yours Truly in the next few weeks and one of them is the addition of my colleague and friend of the program, CBS Sports writer and editor, Brandon Wise, the wise man himself. You've heard his voice on this podcast before, and folks, he back. I back. Trust me, I back. Oh be wise, broski, you know I had to play the Anderson sound to bring you in. How is it, my man, down there in South Florida?
1: Everything is going great. I really just hope that my era here is longer than the Machida era. That's all I can oh, say.
0: how dare you. Welcome to the Machida era. It's still real to me. By the way, a little inside baseball. <laughs> Remember the time we went out for some food and drinks with the great Rashad Evans, and we had him telling us inside baseball stories on that loss when he was like – Getting hit by Machida, who was pawing, and he's like, Machida, you hit like a bitch. You hit like a KO loss. That was a great story. <laughs> so shout out to Sugar for for sharing that one with us. Absolutely. Uh, wise Uh man, as the great Count Bisping would say, welcome to this show. Welcome to the big leagues.
2: Yeah, I know it's your first time involved in something like this. Welcome to the big leagues. Um After this, you'll be back to the undercard. Oh,
0: no, no. How, how dare he? How dare he? How dare he? But seriously, thanks for joining me, and we've won. Hell of a show prepared for the peeps after a couple week break. Maybe even a show worthy of a five-star review. So, folks, if you see something you like, you enjoy the show this week, of course. If you see something, say something. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're you listening to this. Do you think I care where you listen to this? Just go out there. Five-star review. Say a nice thing about the, the guys on the show. Whatever you have to do. But let's get into the meat of what we got. Because we got a full recap of the week that was in MMA, including UFC's trip to Argentina on Saturday. And a full preview of the weekend to come which, of course, is that UFC heavyweight rematch in Beijing and the sloppy Super Bowl that is Liddell Ortiz three from L.A. Hashtag old guy fights for sure. Hey, I know what you're saying. I see the face right now, B-Wise. you got the same face everybody else out there has. Try to avoid this fight all you want. I don't care because I know what you smell, and it's what the old guys are cooking, and I know secretly you like that smell. It's a beautiful aroma that... Arouses it just might. It just might wise. And to get you fully fired up for that trilogy, your boy BC brought in chats with those Hall of Famers, Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz, to see whether this really is just a one-off money grab or whether Golden Boy MMA is ready to take over the cage fighting world. I just said that. I just said that out loud you you're, you're going to let I me can't, I can't believe you did that. Can let me just I leave those words out there, Oscar. <laughs> All right. Hey Wise, let's get into uh, a little bit of the weekend week that was in UFC. They were down in Argentina. What what city was that? Buenos Aires? Is that what they call it?
1: I can't believe you're trying to put on a Spanish accent right now. This is awful. How dare you? How what a great you? start. What a great start to my tenure here with um, you trying to put accents on different words that
0: don't need them. This this is what I do. This is what I do here. <laughs> but uh, we saw a welterweight main event that was worth watching in. And then your guy, Santiago Ponzinibbio, the Ponzi scheme, brought the bang with a KO of the always durable, the always cardio, Neil Magny. And then he damn near went out there and tried to announce himself as the next title challenger at 170 pounds. Oh, whoa, whoa, Ponzi, get in line, brother. Your thoughts on this finish, though, because that one-punch KO, pretty damn good looking.
1: It was good. Um, I would say this, though. Magny was bothered all fight by his eye. He got clipped early on, and it looked like he might have had a broken like orbital bone or something because every time that Nibio got anywhere close to him, he was pawing and trying to cover up that eye as much as he could. It almost made the ref think that he had a uh, he had gotten eye poked, but it was no, it was it was damage that was done to his eye. So the whole time he was worrying about that, while Ponzinibbio was able to just poke and prod from the outside, pick his spots, and then like you said, he finished him with that one punch KO. Just because Magny was so tired from backing up and then getting uh, crushed, so when he fell in a heap, you knew it was over.
0: I'm not going to lie. I didn't consider Santiago Ponzinibbio as a legitimate title contender coming in. The Argentinian headlining in front of his home peeps, 32 years old. He's done some stuff. This is his seventh straight victory going back to that loss to Lorenz Larkin in 2015. But when you weigh out who he's beat, right? I mean, there's the decision win over Mike Perry. Now you got the Magni win. He's not ready for Woodley next, but he's in discussion in a division that's sort of I don't know, kind of going through a transition, still Woodley on top, but you're seeing the new names, the the Colbys, the Usmans, the, you know, a couple of old players like Maya and RDA, and certainly we're going to see Usman and RDA face off very shortly, but hey, welcome, Santiago, welcome to this damn, to this damn title picture, he's a fun fighter to watch, I don't hate him, I don't hate this.
1: I would like that. Um, I think he's going to be a top six, seven guy, maybe. I think one name that you didn't mention is the one that he probably faces next. And that would be Steven Thompson because he needs to have a challenge like that. And I think Steven Thompson has kind of become that, um, that, what do you call it? The gatekeeper, you know, gatekeeper. There you go. Thank you. He's kind of become the gatekeeper for these top title challengers because he's just such a big, durable guy. And now, He's starting to pick up a few losses here, but he hasn't fought since he lost to Darren Till in May.
0: First and now all, he's he looking for another challenger. Let's be really honest. Thompson yep. won that fight, alright.
1: Alright, whatever. You trying to, try to
0: fast track the next Connor into a title shot. I, look, we have to speak truth on this show, whether people are prepared for it or not. I know there's some th- truths that are hard for you to accept-wise, like this truth. Ding 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 ding, you knew it was coming eventually. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Do you know what I'm going to say? Are you ready for
1: I, it? No, I don't know what you're going to say, but I'm ready.
0: All right, Weidman, oh Silva. Hey, Silva lost to Weidman twice, but Weidman never beat him. That's just an example of the kind of truth I'm willing to give you today. It happened. All right, UFC tried to make Till a star. Woodley humbled that ass. So that's just me telling you the truth right there. You gonna take
1: that. Why am I not surprised that it took you what five minutes to get in a Weidman dig at me? just because you wanted to do that. Do you need to tell the people about our bet?
0: Well, I was going to save that a little bit, but I do <laughs> have the shirt right here. I do have the green Reebok UFC shirt right here, the one I gladly and greatly desire that you sent to me. Let me just hold it up for you to look at one time. The Baron right here. It's still real to me, damn it. I know he's no longer pound-for-pound pound number one. He's no longer the champion. He's kind of hella washed, and he's got bad tats. But when Team Baron was on top end... Life was pretty good, all right, and I got that. I got that T-shirt. I won the damn bet. So there'll be more of that. There'll be more of that to come because I saw a Travis Hoppe Brown T-shirt on UFC.com for six ninety seven on sale. Talk about a gaudy little gray thing. I'd love to win that in a bet, right? Who's gonna buy that? Who's really who really who's gonna buy that? <laughs> you sent me the one. You wanted the Holly Home one now too. Home sweet home, brother. Yes, yes, I do. I do want to wear that one. You know what? Trading bad T-shirts is the best way to bet on fights. I'm telling you. I'm telling you that. All right, Ponzinibbio, well done. Good knockout of Magny. There's going to be some opportunities in this division. Yes, they tried to force it, Till down our throats when he didn't deserve it. Thompson is still around. Still that gatekeeper celebrity to the stars, like you're mentioning. If you are going to get advanced to that title picture, you do have to get through a guy like that. Would be an interesting matchup if they went in that direction. I wouldn't hate it. Um there's a new folk hero on the rise, and I'm not sure if I hate this guy or not. But uh Johnny Walker on the undercard. Uh what weight class is this guy? He might be a featherweight for all of know. 205. He's, he's, 205. A, he's a 205. He's a 205. He's a 205, or he's like seven feet tall, and he sent Khalil Roundtree to hell with a with an, el- with an elbow, and yet yeah, was kind of like a clown. He's like an animated clown with a mohawk, and the interview afterwards was really weird, but I can't take my eyes off this guy. Do you you feel what I'm feeling there? I can't tell if he's real. Is that a real person out there? I don't know. He's like a marionette or something. The, his mannerisms are so out of control. But if you're gonna get a guy who's like six five at two o five with that kind of length and the power and the short elbow, I'll tune in. I'll tune in.
1: He's got a he's got a Bones Jones quality to him with that length.
0: He t- had you heard about this guy? I, this is like new to me. Johnny Walker Red. There's no way that's his real given name, right?
1: Johnny Walker Red.
0: You added the red there. <laughs> There's no way that's his name. Come on.
1: He won, uh, he won the ultimate fighter. He won the ultimate fighter in Brazil, I believe. So that's how he ended up getting, like, kinda of fast-tracked for, with the shot against Cleo Roundtree after Roundtree sent your boy, uh, Gokhan Saki to hell.
0: That was, that was a surprising, shocking move right there. Alright, so I always imagine if a tough happened outside the country, it didn't happen at all. And you can argue that toughs don't happen at all anywhere. Is anybody still watching that show? I haven't watched since Kimbo.
1: Yeah, I mean, ratings will tell you that this season has not been great. It's been, I think, their lowest-rated season ever. Oh, so I
0: did make a comeback in 2014 for the women's strawweights, the best, the, the 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 most exciting division in all of MMA. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that was a good tough house. I was I was down for that. Yeah, team. it was it was fine. But, you but you know, it, it's not the tough show has... ripping a door off, though. You know, it's not what it used to. No. be. No, tough did
1: give us the two middleweight top players right now in Kelvin Gastelum and Robert Whitaker.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Um do we believe that Johnny Walker is for real here? I mean, who did who was he beat? It wasn't he on Dana White's series or are you saying it was all tough.
1: He was also on Dana White's contender series. He beat Henrique De Silvia by decision and got a contract somehow. So, congratulations to him.
0: I'll tell you what, this dude seems to understand uh, a little bit of charisma and marketing, but he kind of feels like a guy you're going to you're going to want to like See, so you get knocked out eventually because he's got that sort of like almost clown-like behavior. But if he can produce this type of power, he's an interesting guy to watch. That w- that was sort of a jump off the page like, oh, who's this guy moment? And uh, this Argentina card was kind of all about debuts in that way. And Wise, I didn't even get to talk to you about this. Did you read uh, the Ian Heinish story that came out? about his background in prison and everything he has been through to get to what was his UFC debut on Saturday. This was insane stuff, if you haven't read this piece. You know what I'm talking about?
1: I did not read this piece, no.
0: Holy crap, I I, I, I really want everybody out there to get a chance to, to see it. I want to plug who who actually wrote it, so I'm not just calling it this piece. But essentially, Ian Heinisch is this UFC rookie, a middleweight, by the way, the dude's jacked. I mean, the dude's, like, real jacked. And if you want to go as far as saying the dude is prison jacked, it makes sense because he came straight out of prison. This was a story on the playerstribune.com titled You Ever Been to Rikers by Ian Heinisch, And it's in a remarkable story of a guy who's life really, like, had a had a solid wrestling background in Colorado as a two-time state champion. And then his life kind of went down the tubes, did time in jails in Africa and Spain for essentially uh, being part of organized crime, ended up at Rikers. On the day that he was basically said he was going to get in a fight that would kill him, right, because people threatened his life, that day suddenly his time in prison ended and he got saved and removed when he was literally preparing all night for a fight to the death the next day in a, in a gang-related thing. He got pulled out. He turns his life around goes, you know, whatever, unbeaten on the lower levels of MMA, and then makes this debut on Saturday against Cesar Ferreira at middleweight. Look, it was a hell of a story, and I thought it was a fun performance from this guy. A little sloppy, a little rusty in his UFC debut, but he went out there and won a three-round unanimous decision. Did anything you saw in the cage impress you, scream that we may have a player here and not just, you know, good story, guy serve time in jail, good for him?
1: I mean, Cesar Fer- Ferreira is a good fighter. Let's not take any credit away from him. But like you said, um, Ian Hinnish, he looked the part. He looks like he could be a player, but obviously he's going to need a couple more fights before we get anywhere close to start talking about him as a big deal. Obviously the backstory is going to be great for UFC to play off of if they want to start fast-tracking him in any way. But I think you're going to need to see him be more dominant instead of just grinding out a decision win over somebody like Cesar Ferreira. He's got to get another couple fights before he even gets to – start talking about a top 15 opponent I yeah
0: think. well look it's very early and certainly i i mentioned the word slopping there he had some cardio you know questions at, late in that fight but you know never really got into too much trouble always seemed to be in dominant position insanely strong for the weight class i mean the dude's back is jacked i mean this guy looks like an interesting player just to hear his story really spelled out i hope somebody does a full-on you know video feature one of these days like look now that ufc's going to espn i could see espn outside the lines or something, doing some kind of, like, long investigative journalistic piece here on really what, what was a very interesting life for this guy. 31 years old. Hey, interesting player. We'll find out what he's got. The only other story I thought that jumped out from the Argentina card and stopped me if there's anything else I'm missing, but your girl Cynthia Calvillo missed weight by, what, three pounds for this uh women's uh, straw weight bout against Pollyanna Botello, and it was one of those really scary ones. I mean – one of those where you start tweeting out, you know, your soapbox editorial about, do we have to wait for a death for something to change? Calvillo couldn't even stand on the scale, dude. She was like, I mean, she looked like she was like about to pass out. I mean, this was bad and she stripped down and then she goes out there and kicks ass like nothing ever happened. So maybe that's the worst advertisement to try to put an end to this, but were you even remotely as scared as I was in this situation?
1: I hate these scenarios so much, man. Like, And I don't think there's anything you can do between what Dana was saying before about early weigh-in versus the old way that they were doing things. I don't think it has anything to do with that. I just think it has to do with people not putting enough focus on their nutrition before these fights. And then you get in a position where you get the fight week and you need to cut 15, 20 pounds. It's like
0: that's really hard and that's really unhealthy. Call George Lockhart, please. Please call him now.
1: I mean, like you said, man, when we saw that video on Friday, it was scary. Like, I thought she might just collapse. When she, when she steps on the scale and then steps back and she looks at the, the athletic commission guy, I, I was like, you're going to seriously let her go back after she almost collapsed right there? Like, how do you get to this point in a fight? We've talked about this at length, man. It's going to take a death before they change the rules. It's
0: scary, man. It's stupid. It's, sc- it's how- archaic. I think we're going to look back on this era As being like, I can't believe they were still doing extreme weight cutting to this point in boxing and MMA. And by the way, it seems like such a bigger problem in MMA right now than it does in boxing. Considering how many big time fights are falling apart with people being hospitalized for missing weight. But yeah, it's going to come down to a death. I've said it before on this show. I've got the fix wise. You ready for it? It's a very simple fix. Okay. You got to be the contracted weight. Not once. Not once a day before the fight. You got to be it a week before, you got to be it three days before, you got to be it a day before, and then you got to be it before you walk out of the locker room to watch. I don't care if you put a scale in the walkway out before you walk into the arena and you got to stand. and People say, "Well, no, no, it's crazy. It's crazy. Is it crazy or are people going to die? Like seriously. So we have these weight classes for a limit for a reason, these weight limits. You got to be able to make it. You either make it or you don't. It's that I know people say. What about the people who fall in between? Then you got to pick a weight class, and maybe what I'm saying isn't fully realistic. Meaning they have to be the same weight, you know, four times in one week. However, you want to play with the numbers, right? Like you have to be whatever it is. You got to have weight check-ins that are serious, and you've got to meet each of the threshold. So there's not a big surprise the day before, right? For not just for the promoters and the money of who's going to headline a card, and we could lose that, but also for the health of the, of everybody there, that you're not just going to take a chance. Oh, suddenly somebody's four pounds overweight. But guess what? All they have to do is pay a fee, and they still can fight. Because not only does it sometimes give people advantages, but in this fight, we thought it was going to severely limit Calvillo, and she's going to be in trouble. No, she came out there and submitted uh, in the first round, Botello, dominantly. So that's fine. But I don't want them to sweep it under the rug. Why is this? Would my scenario work? How would you alter that?
1: So your girl, uh, Roxanne Montefiore, she actually had an interesting theory as to another way that we could do this. You take a point in the first round. You start off the round with your opponent is up 10-9, and then you have to go figure out how to come back from that after all. I don't know. I like your idea. That's a
0: temporary fit. I mean, I guess that's a dissuader, but people would still lose that point and be like, all right, I just got to finish him.
1: Right. But not everybody can finish. I mean – Calvillo clearly can. She's – I mean I told you before. I fell in love with her fighting style last year when she went 4-0 and was just cleaning out straw weights. But then she got popped for for weed I think it was and got a nine-month suspension out of nowhere. And now she was on her way back to this. And obviously like from the weight cut, it didn't look like it was going to be the same fighter. Like my theory – my thing was like watching that, how is nobody there at all concerned? Like – we had a case a few months ago where they just wouldn't let somebody go back on the scale. I think it was Anthony Pettis for, um, for 223 and when they were talking about, when, yeah, when they were talking about having him fight Khabib as like a temporary fix, he came out, weighed 155.2, and the cut was so bad for him, they were just like, no, he's not coming back out on the scale. How does nobody. I mean, they didn't let him go to New out.
0: York, and they're known for that. they're known for being tight. and also, uh, by the way, they did that with Max Holloway, right? ahead of 220 they mm-hmm. wouldn't let him finish that cut for the Habib fight. They didn't they even let him nervous. step on the scale. And I think, by the way, that goes back to that boxer who, who had a real bad, uh, situation. Remember Magomed Abdul Salamov, the heavyweight boxer, who, uh, yeah. in the fight against Mike Perez, which I was ringside for, the New York, New York State Athletic Commission got sued big time for millions and had to pay out for what was mishandling after the fight. Ever since then, the New York Commission's gonna be as strict as possible, but your point is that not everybody is that strict. They're just throwing people back out there. So, I don't know if every inch of my plan works, but I think, the, the you know what the theory of my, the real foundation of my plan is? You can't extreme cut anymore. You either are under that limit or you're not, dude. All right? That, that's the bottom line. So you either can show that before the fight. And I don't know if that means you have a, a weight-cutting limit. After, you know, you weigh in on Friday, but then you say on Saturday you got to step on the scale one more time before you walk out there. Even if you want to add weight to give people a little small window of rehydration, whatever you want to do, how it is now doesn't work. All right? It's not working, and it's not – and this argument isn't from a competitive disadvantage argument; it's from a somebody's going to die argument. So, can we just get past this part of this this portion of combat sports history? Can we evolve? Really, this is, sport is dangerous well, enough, bro. Why everyone's probably on droids anyway, which adds to the danger. Why do we have to make this so much more dangerous by doing the weight cutting thing?
1: How about instead of evolving, we go back to the Stone Ages where we have risen rules where it's just open weight and we can all just fight whoever the hell we want to fight.
0: Yeah, UFC one rules. Yeah, yeah, open weight. Well, I think that's a little bit ridiculous. But uh, I, I love. No, that why is that ridiculous? Come on. I mean, remember when BJ Penn <laughs> fought Leona Machida? It's like, well, he had big balls. <laughs> but what do you get? You what do you gain from that? You know, remember that guy in Japan lost his eyes. I mean, from uh, things, bad things happen. Anyway, uh look, can we fix this? Can we put our heads together, please, state commissions, and get past this? It's, it's just, un- it's unbelievable that these these two sports, meaning boxing and MMA, which are already the red light district in sports they are look the average sports you know a lot of average sports fans still look down on these fight sports it's ridiculous these type of things only make it more ridiculous let's clean it up you can only put so much lipstick on the pig but can we try to put a little bit of a layer on before you're going to kiss it is this making any sense this this is weird
1: what about just getting rid of the state commissions for this why do they have to be the ones
0: regulating yeah let's do a national commission i'm down with that
1: that's that's all you need because then there's guidelines for every different place that these fights are happening There's no just oh this might be okay here, but it's not okay over there. You know.
0: Problem is ultimately there's so much money involved. Then when you have so much money, you have so much corruption and ah. But yeah, we gotta have it. And boxing's way worse because there's no central organization body anyway. Because there's no one league. It's just a it's just a freaking joke. Um, in Argentina, look, I saw. I know he's your boy in the co-main event. Darren the Damage Elkins. I know he takes a lot of damage, and that's his shtick. Like, that's his thing. That's what his <laughs> character does. And then he gets in these Fight of the Year contenders because he gets the crap beaten out of him, but he can't give up because he's a psycho, and he comes back and he wins. And I don't want to take any of those wins against from him, including that big one against your guy, the damn septic tank, Mursad Bektik. But – uh he lost to Ricardo Lamas, third round TKO in the closing seconds It got the crap out of him. And I don't know how many more times I want to watch Darren Elkins just bleed all over the place before I'm like dude, can we can we throw a can we have a little bit of defense? Can we throw a jab? Can we do something? I mean the guy's like he's got a lot of heart, he's thirty four we love fighters like this, but we love fighters like this to a certain degree, and then we start getting uncomfortable. And I know this is only two losses in a row, so no one's pulling him from his job. But are we are we at the uncomfortability point with Darren Elkins, or should I just shut up and and just bleed, baby?
1: No, we need to get rid of Darren Elkins. The, just send him to Bellator already. Like he's clearly not at an elite level anymore. He never really was to begin with. But when you get hail mary comeback wins, people start getting excited. So they give you big opportunities like this, and like you said, now he's lost two straight fights against people that he probably shouldn't have been fighting against. So I think it's the Darren Elkins experiment is over. He's going to keep fighting on these FS1 cards or Fight Pass cards, and that's where he's just going to stay for now, so –
0: that's fair. That's a sober response. That was a nice alternative to what I offered. That. I, I was not,
1: you said I'm in love with this guy. I don't like Darren Elkins that much. I just thought it was funny I that he had to come back win.
0: Roxy is my girl. Come on. I'm no, I'm no, I'm no happy, happy warrior fanboy there though. Shout out and respect to that. Uh, wow. Hey, let's transition to the latest news. We got a lot to run through. It's been a couple of weeks since we rock and rolled on this show. Uh, big one here. Wise. Nick Diaz. Remember him? <laughs> Hasn't <laughs> appeared in four years. Hasn't won, by the way. Since the BJ Penn win in 2011, do you know how long ago 2011 was? I was still in college. 2011? That was like four (laughs) residences ago for me. Like it was like three jobs. I mean, like it's just ridiculous. 2011 was the guy's last win. We love Nick Diaz, the Stockton slap. 35 years old. He's going to end that layoff March 2nd in Vegas, UFC 235 against Jorge Masvidal. So when the when this got announced, I'm sort of like. Okay, I don't love it because it's not a huge name. And I guess I thought Diaz was at the point where if he's going to come back, it's going to be against a big name because he's such a damn wild card. We saw what he did against Anderson Silva, which was really weird Nick Diaz things. You never know what you're going to get from him. You never know if he's going to show up at a press conference. But the more I think about Nick Jorge, they're going to bang. They're going to talk a lot of trash before, and they're going to bang. So maybe I need to get out of my own way and just enjoy the violence.
1: If they put that as a co-main event, or a main event like they should that will sell because like you said those two on the microphone are just fantastic jorge has no problem speaking his mind and he will let you know how he feels about everything that's going on around him um like you said and nick diaz will do the same nick diaz will start slapping people in the audience if he has to to get them to wake up because that's where he comes from just
0: to pause you for one second where i come Mm -hmm. from you know people like that get slapped that's where he comes from man he comes from stockton 209 (laughs) brother keep going Anyway, um, but like you didn't
1: like the matchup really for Masvidal. I think it's probably a, the best case scenario for Nick because you're getting a guy who's coming off of two straight losses. He lost to Damian Maya and Steven Thompson in a couple of fights that he really didn't look competitive in. You remember that Steven Thompson fight because that was on the uh, MSG card. Yeah, he got shut and out basically. Th- Thompson beat him up pretty good. So I think this is probably a really good decision by UFC to put this one together just because they're going to make some money off of it one way or another.
0: You know what I kind of want? And we're going to talk about the the cowboy in a few minutes for a different fight, a bigger fight. I kind of want a Nick cowboy Actually, it was. I kind of want a Nate Cowboy rematch. That's not Nick. Yeah. Remember when Nate was just firing off middle fingers and he got into Cowboy's head and he totally dominated him there. Hey, I take Nick Cowboy. I really. The truth. Look, the truth is, we take the Diaz's against anybody. We just want them out there. I don't know what kind. Of, what Nick has left. I don't know what kind of end game he has left. I kind of feel like we might see him one more and then never again, or one more and then another three year break and then one more and never again. Like you never know with these guys. I'd love for him to come back and fight three times a year. He doesn't even have to go up the title ladder. Just make fun fights because. Every fight with him is fun, but can you accurately predict what a Diaz is going to do next, what they're going to think? I know you can if you're UFC, if you're trying to plan out their future, but, I mean, this guy's an interesting addition and member to this welterweight division, which is kind of, you know, reborn, and the face is changing in it. Now we got Askren. Now we got all these other things going on. Imagine if Nick Diaz just becomes regular again and wants to fight again. It'd be fantastic.
1: I, I don't know. I feel like, like you said, this might be a one or two fight deal and then Nick's gone forever because he wants to either be a manager or he wants to be a coach and trainer again. I just – like, you said you didn't like this matchup. Who would you have preferred to see him fighting in this in this spot at 235?
0: I guess I wanted a sexier name from the idea that this isn't a comeback fight like we just mentioned. This may be the only fight. or You know what I mean? Like we may never see him again after this. You just never know. So if that's the case – I wanted something on, like, a, well, GSP won't be too sexy, but I wanted something on that level. We're like, oh, hey, okay, all right, yeah, it's going to be fun. Not necessarily Masvidal coming off of two defeats, but like I said, it's action potential. Nick could and should win it, even though he hasn't fought in four years and hasn't won in seven <laughs> years since uh, a couple presidents ago. But uh, it, it's, it's <laughs> all it, – maybe I need to just shut up and, and just enjoy what I'm going to get. And Nick Diaz is fun. I'm going to enjoy him, but – uh Wow. Can you name his last few opponents? I mean, I know there was the Anderson fight. I know he beat BJ. We haven't seen who. Who do we see? Who else do we see him in recently? Can you even say say that off the top of your head? Nick Diaz or Jorge? Nick Diaz. I'm trying to like, it's been so long. I almost forgot what his career looked like. It's been like, like the last fight was against
1: Anderson. And that
0: was just weird, but we hadn't seen him for a couple years before that anyway. Right. I got his, right. I got his, his he, rundown in front of us. Uh, oh, there was the GSP and the Condit losses in between. That's right. So we've basically been fighting and, once a year in that run.
1: So if you're saying you wanted him to get a fun opponent, you're not thinking even top five? Because my only thought would be something like Yoel Romero maybe.
0: No, no, no. Dude, he can't fight real middleweights. They'll just be that's what I'm him saying. So,
1: so I don't know what – I mean, Bisbing? Could you have gotten Bisping out of, can, out of retirement off, for but this? I don't
0: think Bisping can make middleweight anymore or has, or wants to. Look, like, Nick's not a middleweight. He fought Anderson because of the money was there, and then he fought really weird and didn't really try. Nick's a welterweight. Yeah. This,
1: ben? Ben would have been fun. That would
0: have been fun. That That's the fight they should have done. Askren, D- Nick Diaz would have been a main event. It would have been really fun. It would have really drawn interest. It would have been if Diaz even got dominated by Askren, he's still not really going to lose that much, right? He's still a wild-card name personality that you can insert at any time. But they went in the other direction. That's a good transition right there. Let's transition right into there. Ben Askren does have his first opponent for this UFC run following the trade from one championship. He went on a trash talk tour to force, Brandon Wise, that we've never seen before on Twitter, and it was awesome. He's going to get Ruthless Robbie Lawler, the former champion, that's January twenty-sixth, UFC two thirty-three in Los Angeles. Little big balls move, by the way, by the UFC. Same night, Bader, Fader. Or is it Fador Bader? Did we do we decide that yet? Same night, same city as Bader Fader. It's gonna be this card, which doesn't have a main event, but Askren Lawler's really damn interesting. What were your thoughts when you when you heard that one?
1: I think that's so we've been talking about how they've been fast tracking these up and coming prospects a lot. I think when you said this about about Ben Askren against Robbie Lawler and then Nick Diaz, Jorge Masvidal, this was actually them showing kind of restraint. They want to give these guys a little bit of a hey, let's make sure you can still fight kind of <laughs> matchups before they get them in there against each other or against bigger names. Because like Robbie Lawler's nice and all, but like he's pretty washed, right? I mean, we've seen him in those last couple of fights. He just doesn't look like he's all there mentally where he's trying to stand and bang with RDA or even Woodley when he when they fought a few years ago it just didn't look the same as when he did against Rory I think and he against lost uh a lot of
0: himself in those fights let's be honest dude the fights with right. with uh the two with uh I'm sorry the yeah the two with Hendricks were tough as hell i mean he had to beat Matt Brown during that run then you have Rory then you go through Condit i mean that was a that was a the Condit it was, one was a basically row. fight of the year That's back to back fight of the years and i know that they were 6 months of 7 months apart but that's 7 months of hell right there both going the 5 rounds like that's insane
1: yeah and we just said we just talked to Kamaru Usman who said that he had been dealing with a lot of injuries and stuff before these last few fights when he fought against RDA but still i mean it's I I don't know. I'm a little worried about Robbie Lawler's mental capacity still, man, just based on how many wars he's been in.
0: Dude, it's such a unique career because he's 36 now, and there was that period where he was still the strike force guy to us during that initial UFC run, and it's like, wow, Robbie Lawler's getting better. Wow, imagine him in a title shot one day. Holy crap, Robbie Lawler's the new champion, and he's fighting through hell and even when he was the champion and he was winning these decisions there were these rounds that he would just give away because his style is not to be a complete mixed martial artist his style is to try to kill you for a round and then rest the next round i mean he's an insane caveman he's an interesting quote by the way because he just doesn't care about like the stuff about fighting that fans care about he's just sort of like i like to bang this is my job so leave me alone type of deal but it's a very interesting test for and People have ripped it. Some people think it's too tough. Some people think it's too easy. It's a very interesting uh, announcement in the in the reaction it got. But I think in the end, I like that the UFC is still about challenging people. I like that when Brock Lesnar said, I want to fight in the UFC, they gave him Frank Mir, dude. I mean, Frank Mir might be a nice—at that point, Frank Mir might be a pretty equal equivalent to who Robbie Lawler could be right now if he comes back and he looks good. You're right, former champion, been through some tough losses, trying to come back, been through some injuries— I mean even when Eddie Alvarez crossed the street they gave him a prime Donald Cerrone who was in the middle of that winning streak there's no easy outs here and even though Lawler's big and he can defensively wrestle in the end his style is completely different from Askren's so if Askren can be Askren in the UFC He can win this fight, and he'll do it against a former champion who's so dangerous that whether you think he's washed or not, that's a hell of a good win. That could launch him into big stuff. So I do applaud UFC in the end. I wanted to see Diaz. I wanted to see GSP. I wanted to see all these things. But I think they also want to see how well will the numbers be for Askren? How good is his shtick? Can he actually fight? Is he remedial in terms of his striking on his feet? Like We're going to find out a lot in this fight, and I'm fired up for it.
1: Remember, Askren retired from one championship before he got this new contract with UFC and the, the quote-unquote trade for Demetrius Johnson. So we'll see if he really still wants this or not, or if this was just like, hey, I want to go make some more money. Let's go back home to UFC. Yeah,
0: that's true. Don't forget, GSP said there's three things that are certain in life. Water is wet, fire burn, and I'm going to beat Michael Bisping. He was right on all three. Let's be really honest. <laughs> uh, speaking of that UFC 233 card in LA, January 26th, what we think – could be the main event. Is this still a report? I'm not really sure anymore because news just leaks these days. And then the UFC never actually confirms it. So you never actually know if this is true or not. But we went through the news cycle of reporting and reacting to the idea that TJ Dillashaw, the Bantamweight champion, is going to move down 10 pounds and challenge Henry Cejudo for the flyweight title. Just when you thought the flyweight division had folded in the aftermath of Demetrius Johnson's trade to one championship. Only, hey, wise man, Dana White never actually confirmed that or reported it or said it was true. We're all going on sources. But if this is the main event for L.A., or even if it's a co-main, I mean, I, lo- I love this fight like anybody. TJ going down and wait, daring to be great, trying to join that upper table conversation of the guys who have been the champ champ. Couture, Penn, GSP mcgregor cormier maybe nunez if she wins in late december but that's a big power move but what the hell does that mean for the future of 125 is this dana white throwing a party that you know he's gonna stomp all over the end of flyweight and he's throwing a party and he's gonna to to crap on it and finish it he's gonna let tj take care of cejudo and just wipe the flyweights off the earth how do you read this situation
1: This is why I hate Dana White sometimes, just because he does things like this where it's like, hey, remember when you guys thought that we were getting rid of flyweight? (laughs) Haha, JK, we're going to do this as a title fight now. (laughs) Um, I think you kind of have to make this the main event, right? Like, they want to see if this flyweight division can still do any kind of product, so they got to be like, hey, this is your chance, TJ. This is your chance, Henry. Go show us that you can sell this product and keep this division alive for at least another year, because they're cutting dudes left and right the other day. Our boy uh, Jose Torres, he let everybody know, hey, they're cutting me, so I'm a free agent. Come give me a contract. I don't know. I just think that this is a good matchup that they had to make at some point. I'm kind of surprised they're making it now and at 125. So...
0: I see. T- I don't even know what
1: TJ looks like at 125 because he's already dangerous. small as it is.
0: I think that's dangerous. I think that's like that's a big time gamble. Obviously, he could do that and lose, and he wouldn't lose his bantamweight title. So that's probably why they did it. But I don't think it's to give the flyweights another chance. I think UFC is so desperate to put title fights in the marquee as we've seen them pump out new divisions, float interim belts that they see this as: let's get one more title defense out of this division before we crap we close it down and in doing so we can finally give TJ a chance really at getting the shine he deserves I think TJ's been held back by that company I didn't think he lost to Dominic Cruz took him two years to get back to it then he had a knockout your boy Cody twice when Cody got the immediate rematch that he didn't deserve this is a great opportunity for him to like make a case for being the pound for pound king and put himself in a much higher tax bracket and that's all good but I don't think Flyweight has a future and in the end I don't hate that they're closing it down. I only say if you're going to close down men's flyweight, take women's featherweight with you, brother. Am I wrong?
1: Yeah, no, you're right. But my thing is, like, how does – does this really make TJ the quote-unquote pound-for-pound king like you're saying? Because it's like – Gives him a chance. We know uh, – I mean, he's a 135er though, man. And, and to go off of what we were talking about, what, 10 minutes ago about weight cutting and how dangerous this is, how is this not dangerous for TJ? He is already almost zero percent body fat. You see all those videos for UFC countdown when he's getting ready to fight and how he has all these saber metrics like telling him when to put his body at peak condition. He's gonna cut another ten pounds off of that to get there for this fight. I this seems really scary to me. And I feel like that Friday we're gonna have another one of these. Oh, well, TJ's still trying to cut. He's still trying to cut. TJ didn't make weight. <laughs> like I I don't know. I'm kind of concerned that we're going to have one of those type of scenarios again.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff to this decision. It's very peculiar in my eyes. Even if it's just a ploy for one more title shot, even if it's a chance to give TJ some rub, it's just, it's, they're both LA, they're both California guys, so it could do well as a main event, but we'll see what happens there. Um, you know what I don't want to talk about at all is Floyd Mayweather on the boxing podcast, on the MMA podcast, but now he's probably going to box that Japanese kickboxer. I don't know why. Is it, is
1: it boxing or is no, it like a pillow fight? Because I, I don't know what boxing, it is. boxing,
0: but Floyd won't stop saying that he's going to box Khabib still. And Habib's people are like, yeah, we're going to do- I, – I can't. I can't play this game anymore. You got any Floyd comments? I can't do it. I, I want him to go so far away again. Even though just a couple weeks ago I was like, yeah, I'll take a Floyd rematch if they're going to do it. Now I kind of just want him to go so far away. You got any thoughts about Floyd, the MMA? Wait,
1: you – you wanted a Floyd Connor rematch?
0: Sorry, Floyd uh, Manny. Floyd Manny. Did I say Connor? Oh, okay. Thoughts.
1: No, no, no. You just said a Floyd rematch, and I was like, "You really wanted to see another Connor fight?" You know, <laughs> when when I they know.
0: announced the Pacquiao fight, I'm like, "You know what? It's so bad. It, it might be fun to watch. Let's just do it." But uh, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this uh Floyd tricking people with these MMA headlines. Floyd wanting to box Habib. Stop. Stop the madness.
1: No, yeah, you're right on that. I, I, I need these cross promote like. There was a point in time where we thought that Floyd was going to end up being like the, the cash cow for these MMA guys to be like, hey, you've already conquered your sport and you're still not getting as much money as you want. Let's go fight Floyd for another 10 million, 15 million. I don't I mean, I don't want to see those anymore. I just think it's it was fun when Connor did it because Connor can sell anything. I don't think anybody in the UFC right now could sell a fight against against Floyd. To the point where Connor did. So I, I just don't need it. And I don't need that promotional tour again.
0: Yes, you said what needed to be said.
2: Thank you for joining us, man. Yeah.
0: I love you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um moving on. Hey, former UFC welterweight champion Johnny Hendricks had his soul taken again. No, not in an MMA cage. The thirty five year old was in Wyoming of all places for another one of these bare knuckle boxing federations. Wise this is the the It's not like I'm against this. Because I like sloppy. I like old guy fights. I like BKB, the damn pit. I like celebrity, but I like really the 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 bottom of the food chain when it comes to fight stuff, meaning I'll watch it. That's fine, right? Todd Bridges against Screech Power. I like whatever you want to do. I'll watch that crap, all right? Remember that time Kobayashi had the hot dog eating contest against the actual bear, and he got destroyed, and afterwards Kobayashi (laughs) was like, I'm so sorry. I will try so much harder next time. Like, I'll watch all those train wrecks. But this is just bad. Henriks was supposed to face Brennan Ward, the Bellator banger. He pulled out, as did Sean Merriman, because this – company didn't fulfill their contractual obligations, which means they didn't pay what they were supposed to. And Hendricks took took the spot there against some journeyman that you've never heard of and I've never heard of, and I didn't even bother to look up his name, but he got knocked out, and it was sad. Um, the point I bring this up, is this the swiftest and hardest fall that any UFC champion has ever had, where you go from, like, the mountaintop to, like, eating hot dogs at a gas station for dinner? Like, this was, like, really sad. Like, the guy, like... The guy used to like Big Reg, dude. Big Reg. like this was like, <laughs> this was like really bad. I was, I thought it was bad that he was even in this after retiring and saying I can't take this punishment anymore. Do you have any thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I mean that that Wikipedia page for him of those wins and losses is just gross. A lot of pink. I mean, bro. a lot of pink. One in <laughs> one in five to end his career is just oh. And then he finally decided to give it up because I mean my boy Paulo Costa just said, No, no, you do not need to do this anymore.
0: No, 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 no. no, no. Yeah, he was like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna remove what's left of your UFC soul. You may have a little couple couple crumbs left inside of there, but they'll take that from you in Wyoming with with no gloves on one night, and we saw that night happen last Friday. But wow, this was uh he's the kind of guy where you can almost argue if there had been a one hundred sixty five division, he would probably still be fighting the UFC right now. But he got caught between weight classes. I don't – like, what, what – how did the wheels fall apart this this fast? Because we made jokes before about my guy Hennon Barrow and I got the Team Baron shirt right here ready to put it on, brother. But, you know, we had Faber on the show a couple months ago, Uriah Faber, the UFC Hall of Famer, and he kind of said it without saying it that Barrow was a victim of USADA, meaning he was a victim of his own possible PED use and never could recover when the USADA era started. But – do we compare who had the worst fall? I mean, maybe Hendricks was worse because Barrow's still trying to fight for the UFC. I, dude, I can't remember somebody losing the belt and then just dying like this.
1: See, I feel like this isn't USADA-based as much as it is just nutrition-based. Because if you start looking at the like last few fights for him, he missed weight three out of four fights. And not close either, like by a lot. So I think it's more Johnny just got to the point where, all right, I lost the belt. I'm probably not getting back. I need to fulfill this contract out, and then I'm going to figure out my life after that. And he probably wasn't training as much as he should have. He probably didn't care as much. So he was probably just in there going, eh, let's go fight, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'll go train today. Maybe I'll have a cheeseburger. I don't know. Because, I mean, when he fought um, when he fought at UFC 200 against Kelvin Gaslam, he looked bloated. Like, he didn't even look like the same person anymore. And over the last two years, I mean, it's just kind of gotten worse. He just has not looked the same. So, like you said, I think, like I said, this might be more just Johnny got to the point where he knew he wasn't as good as he was once was, and just kind of gave up. He just kind of let it play That's out. That's sad
0: to see. Normally, you see that, I guess, you know, five, six, seven, ten years later. I mean, thirty-five, but it's still we've seen guys do some things at thirty-five. It's just, I mean, he just lost to a guy named Dakota Cochran in Wyoming in a bare-knuckle boxing match on the same probably card that barn. Chris Lieben knocked out Phil Baroni with a jab. Like, what is happening here? What? What? This is the bottom of the food chain. Johnny Hendricks, it's still real to me, damn it. When you were on top five years ago, I thought you beat GSP Hendricks. Well, I'm talking to this guy like I'm talking to this guy, like he's sitting right in front of me. Uh, wise, uh, but, wow. you,
1: but you could also probably point to that fight as a turning point for Johnny because Johnny, pro- like you said, probably thought he won that fight first of all. Then he got his shot against Lawler, beat Lawler, and then lost to him in a split decision rematch. That's probably where you can point to him and be like, Johnny might have gotten in his own head and said, hey, maybe you're not as good as you think you are. You know?
0: It's a fair point. It's a fair point. Um, the two fights with – I didn't even think he beat Robbie in that first fight. I don't know. Who cares anymore? Let's get off of this topic. It's just sad to see. It's sad to see for my guy, uh, Henan Baral, who was, somehow was washed at 29. I don't even know where he's going to go from here. But uh, – yeah, man, we've seen people take some hard falls who are at the at the very top of the profession. Um, other news. Let's let's talk because we didn't do a show the last couple of weeks. That UFC 25 card was was pretty much hot fire from Denver. The fight night commemorating, you know, a couple of days before the actual 25th anniversary of UFC one from De- from Denver. And we saw Yair Rodriguez and Korean Zombie put on a damn near fight of the year contender in a five-round war that featured one of the most insane finishes in UFC history. Like, to the point where people are saying this is the greatest knockout of all time in the history of the sport. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far. I don't even know if Yair meant to do that. When with one second on the clock, losing on the cards, he ducked a Chan Sung Jung punch and then lifted up his arm and his elbow popped up from behind and he KO'd the zombie in just amazing fashion. I don't know if he he actually meant to do that. Did he?
1: He can say that he did all he wants and that his coaches are like, oh, yeah, he practices that all the time in training camp. Nobody's believing that. Nobody can actually plan, hey, I'm going to let you throw an overhand hook and I'm just going to duck underneath and then my elbow is just going to catch you flush on the chin and put you to sleep. There's no way you practice that. That is such an accident. Like, especially because the round was about to end too. Like, he might have just been getting up to be like, hey, I won. Don't worry about me. So I, I don't think it was intentional, but again, it delivered one of the best highlights we've seen all year. Yeah, and I don't want to crap on it. It's five I'm years.
0: On. I'm not here to crap on it. It was spectacular. It was amazing. Right. It was bizarre and insane it was everything you want but i feel like people were like jumping to be like that's the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of the world when look if i'm gonna make a list of the best knockouts in ufc history i'm gonna put more ones that that mattered that were sensational you brought up to when we had this talk offline the uh the the famous hendo bisping one from ufc 100 i mean can you get a better knockout than that and certainly there's been Giant one punch ones in big time title fights. I mean, look that, that rampage one on Liddell for, in UFC was insane at a moment where the company was just boiling over about to become a crossover thing. And it was just wow. Um, yeah, this was just a Hail Mary with one second to go. All those things are great. And it was a really fun fight, but I don't know if I'm ready to like put it behind glass and put it in the UFC Hall of Fame as this like, Greatest thing I ever saw, but fun card altogether. Not here to piss on, uh, UFC Denver, uh, wiki. Uh, w- uh, there was, there was some fun things there as I look over the wiki page. Uh, anything else stand out for me from that card?
1: Um, our girl Jermaine Durandame. She looked pretty good she, against your girl Rocky.
0: She, a lot of girl, a lot of my girls in here apparently. <laughs> Not, neither of those two are my girls. She needed that win badge. She, she became a villain for, uh, never fighting again after they stripped her of the title. Uh, she didn't seem to get any buzz off of this, though. That was kind of weird to me. She like, doesn't have a personality. That's the problem. She doesn't have a marketing she, personality. She looked
1: really good. She looked like she normally does at 135. Like, They forced that 140, like we've talked about before. They kind of forced the featherweight championship, and they just were like, hey, you want to go do this? And she was like, sure. And then they wanted her to keep fighting, and she was like, I don't want to fight at 145. Well, I want to fight at my natural weight.
0: It's another one of those short-term decisions with long-term consequences. They want to start this and division it, so bad for Cyborg. She's not even ready. She's so like, oh, who cares? We'll just put Home here against this other chick who's not a featherweight either. And Home will win, and then we'll be fine. And then we'll build toward Home cyborg No, it didn't happen, bro. It didn't happen, bro.
1: And it kind of ruined durand career, right? I mean, well, she really ended up division. getting a hand surgery off of that that put her out for almost six to eight months. But now she's kind of working her way back. And if she gets another couple wins, she might get another chance to fight this. Um, knockout that Nunez had. I'm with you. before she got the title.
0: Knockout of who? Nunez?
1: Yeah, no. Nunez knocked her out at um one of those military events. I don't remember the yes. name of it, but it was like four years ago. So it might be another chance for them to have a rematch. Build.
0: I'm with that. I'm, uh, I I think she, if she can put some wins together, she's certainly going to deserve it. There was a she got screwed. You can say what you will. She wasn't willing to fight Cyborg right away, but. She got screwed to be stripped the same way Nico Montano did. Um, how high are you on uh Macy, uh from this Denver card? This Macy week? Barber, Macy Barber, was she nineteen, twenty years old? She looks like she's got a little bit of it factor there. It looks like there's like a uh, you know, what I mean, she's got a muscular body. She she's a finisher, but it looks like she might have the the eye of the tiger on the inside. This was an interesting find for UFC.
1: It's kind of scary when you get a 115-er that can do the kind of things that she was able to do and go in there, bloody up her opponent, and then finish the way that she did. I think if you give her enough time, you can't rush it. Please, UFC, do not rush this girl. They don't know girl. how to not rush, bro. <laughs> uh, man, it's Duke just so well? frustrating because if you give her time and you just let her develop her skills, develop her personality, you said that she seems to have that if factor already. She needs to, like, fine-tune it a little bit. You know, she's not Conor McGregor where she can just go out there, steal the show with her microphone skills. Let her slowly make that a thing. Let her slowly build up that record and build up some more knockouts and finishes. Then you put her in there with the Lions, like Claudia Gedalia, against Joanne Calderwood, against – um what's her name? Against Carolina Kowalkewicz. You put her in there against those kind of opponents – but not yet. You do that in 2020, right. we 2021. We need another
0: page. We don't need another Sage. We don't need another Hero Bro. We don't need another. Uh, who was my guy that Jeremy Stevens sent to hell? That was going to be the next big thing. Josh Emmett. No, no, the other guy, Kim. <laughs> oh, uh, Young Kim? Yeah, man. I mean, he got kind of thrown to the lions early. Duke and Wad did. They they've been known to do that. It happens. But yeah, let's let's do kid gloves here. Let's. And there's the thing. Let's not tell everybody she's the next big thing yet. Let's find it out first. Let's temper the marketing machine a little bit. Uh, Another big uh, development from this Denver card was certainly that co-main event when Cowboy Cerrone turned back the hands of Washness and submits Mike Perry in the first round and suddenly looks like Cowboy again. And, bro, we're talking about Cowboy Connor now, and we're talking about it seriously to the point where TMZ just talked to Dana White. And do you know what he said? He said this fight's not happening, which means it's happening. Of course, that's what it means. Dana says it's not happening, it is happening! Dude, Cowboy Connor is genius matchmaking! It's perfect! It's a style matchup that Connor can win. It's a perfectly marketable matchup. It's the perfect soft comeback fight for Connor, but still represents obviously a certain level of danger. But, you know, Cowboy could pretend he's not washed in this fight, but look, he, you know, he's 35. Yeah. He sometimes he fights too many times per year for his own good. Had a run there of tough losses against guys like Masvidal, Lawler, and Till. Big names there. I don't really know what happened in that Leon Edwards fight. I pretend that never happened because it was in Singapore. (laughs) But, you know, this is a perfect match fight that that can be a pay-per-view main event even in my eyes. You down with this?
1: But where do you do it? Welterweight or lightweight?
0: I think you make Cowboy come down to lightweight one more time. And I think he would for the money. And you put he said
1: that more. he wants to. So
0: yeah, you put. Look, it's not really working out for him at, at welterweight consistently. Although he looked good originally, uh, you know, initially when moving there, it was suddenly like, oh wow, he's you know, if he doesn't have to cut, this is great. He can, he can, you know, really make it at this weight class. Things fell apart. You got to put more advantages in Connor's corner because what's the goal of this fight? It's to use Cerrone's name to give Connor more confidence and a little bit of a rud, rub, excuse me, heading into whatever is next for him. I like the crap out of this fight. A lot. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, I think that is probably as good a matchmaking as you can do. And like you said, he's pretty close to that wash stage at 35. But he looks so good. I mean, he he looked like old school cowboy. I think that is more of an indictment on Mike Perry than it is yes. a, a Cowboy Cerrone look great. Because Mike Perry, for as much as I love that guy, because he can talk. And he's got an attitude about him. He's just not a good MMA fighter. He wow. is a great boxer, good kickboxer. He just—he looks so lost. I mean, he tried to take down Cowboy, and I don't remember who told me this, but there's only a couple people in the in the MMA world that you need to be worried about when they're on their back, and Cowboy is one of them because they can finish you from their back. And when Perry took him down, you kind of realize, uh-oh, Perry's in trouble here and cowboy showed it by holding onto that arm and not letting go. So- yeah, I
0: think Perry had an opportunity in this fight. If he had especially if he had finished cowboy and really put the nail in the coffin that this guy's washed and done to kind of become a thing and you're right, he showed you that he's not he's not about that life. He's not that guy, but I think this is better matchmaking for Connor than even the fight I wanted, which was the Jose Aldo rematch and do it at lightweight and again put more advantages in Connor's corner. You're Look, they want to rehab here, him and you got to rehab Connor's brand right here. You can say what you want, and there's a lot of things to say about Connor's loss to Habib and the full domination that it was outside of that third round when, really, Habib allowed it to be on its feet because he wanted to try to knock Connor out, and I don't care what people say, yes, Connor won the round, but Habib narrowly won that round. Like, he was in it, you know, with him punch for punch almost. I think a lot of the problems with Connor was the layoff mixed with mentally he just wasn't as sharp, and maybe it's the... Being more active, that creates that sharpness. And, you know, obviously he's been swimming in more dollars than anyone could have ever imagined in UFC history, so that might change a little bit of your heart. But you got to get the rub back on him. You got to get him shining up again. But don't send him back to Habib in 2019. Those are my thoughts, wise. Don't do it. Don't do it for business purposes. Don't do it for a lot of reasons because we need Habib Tony in a big way. Tony needs it. The sport needs it. I don't care if you send Connor to Nate for a third fight. I don't care if you send Connor to Nick. I don't care if you send Connor to friggin' GSP for some kind of weird super fight. Anderson Silva, make that weird super fight. That's that's I'm absolutely fine with that. When Anderson Silva walks into a room, you could hear a rat piss on Connor. Oh, all right, chill, right, enough of that. Oh, uh, I'm completely down with all of that. But Connor's gonna lose to Habib unless he puts again, one sidedly, unless he puts some wins together and builds back up that swagger. True or false, bro.
1: Oh, that's 100% true. I here's the thing: we've talked about this at length while Connor's been away, and bef- and even after this fight, money changes you, man. I don't know how much hunger he still has. I'm just praying to God that the Khabib loss and him being humbled, because he can say it all he wants. That man was humbled in that octagon. That it brings the fire back because we don't ha- we haven't seen hungry Connor in a long time. That press conference he gave in New York City that you were at where it was really weird because there were no fans there to hype him up, (laughs) and it was just him talking and trying to get people hyped up who weren't actually doing anything, it was a crazy person. That wasn't how Connor normally is. He just seemed like he was ready to go make this money. He didn't seem like he was ready for a fight. So I hope, like you said, that they give him one of these weird super fights or the Nate rematch in uh, 2019, but – he need, I, I he needs to go find a new coach, maybe? I don't know. Oh, he needs to go you. find his hunger again.
0: He's got to find the hunger. It's all on him. There's, this was just the first loss where you don't have an excuse that justifies it. And, I mean, obviously, the Nate Diaz fight, last minute, moving up two weight classes. It, you justified that loss because he dominated the first round, all right? He, do, he dominated the first round. He ran out of gas. His fault. But you justify that loss, just like you justify, obviously, the Floyd loss for what it was. But there's no justification that gets him out of it now. This is humbling in every possible way, like you said. So we got to come back to this guy again.
2: I just want to say, from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody.
0: But we need the authentic badass. And there started to be, I think, 205 was the turning point ahead of that Eddie fight. You started for the first time to see more of a shtick, more of an act, where I personally think the stuff he did against Aldo and Nate in terms of building up fights I think it was prime Conor in that sense where the magic was still there. I know I talk about that a lot. People laugh at it. There was magic in Conor. I'm not talking about black magic, but there was magic in what Conor McGregor did to to knock out Aldo in 13 seconds to win these fights that he shouldn't have. That magic's gone. He started to lose that magic, I think, at 205 in that build because of burnout, because of four fights in 12 months. He fought Aldo, Nate twice, and Eddie in 12 months. Let that sink in. That's insane while carrying the company on his back. There was real burnout, and he lost a lot of that in the two years. I don't personally blame his camp. I'm fine if you do. Maybe he needs to be more well-rounded. I do like what his coach – did you hear what his coach, John Kavanaugh told Joe Rogan? He said, and this is interesting, it's sort of the idea of like, you know, you tell football teams don't play prevent defense because you're preventing a victory, right? You're, you're, you're basically mm-hmm. just backing up and letting the other team do what they want. They focused a hundred percent on takedown defense and on ground game and nothing on striking. So it's almost like he came in completely in a defensive mind and it took away what he does best. He didn't have. You know, power and snap on his shots, if you remember in that fight against Habib. I'm not trying to paint all these excuses of how Conor could eventually win the rematch. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying, it was so humbling, he got destroyed, and there were some elements to the mental preparation, I think, that we're finding out, that that was off. They were wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, when fighters lose that badly, and they, they just look exposed, how can you even say that you, like, did nothing but train wrestling? Like, He just didn't even look the same. Like you said, there was no snap on his punches, and he was in a defensive posture the whole way. He didn't even have his hands up. Brian, how are you fighting without your hands up? That's how you get clipped by Khabib, who's not a striker. I mean – You're right. I I don't know. I
0: I just think – Number one bullshit. That's unbelievable. You can't do that.
1: (laughs) I just think that for all the greatness that Kavanaugh has given him, a change of scenery might do him better. I, that's all I'm saying.
0: Where do you want him? Dylan ATT Dan- with our boy Dan Lambert? Where do you want him?
1: Yeah, I'd actually like that. Um, no, I mean, I just think Dylan Dennis didn't give him a good look apparently. Wasn't Dylan Dennis
0: his wrestling and jujitsu guy? Yeah, it's his man. What did that, what did that do? Well, I, look, we can we can rip on Connor, but he wasn't awful on the ground early on against Beep. He, he fought him off stuffed, a bit in the first round. He stuffed one takedown.
1: Now, I thought he stuffed take-
0: – the second round he stuffed a couple.
1: I don't know, man. And then he got he dominated
0: just... for the rest of it. Yeah. I just don't he's no, not kind of third a wrestler, round. obviously. Yeah. The third round that yeah. was on its feet mostly he stuffed a couple early. I don't know he got his the crap kicked out We know that, all right? We Habib was like if you wanna find me, please just send me a yeah, location. We know and they sent the location. It was in the middle of the octagon two twenty nine, got the crap beat off of him. So match him the right way. Um Habib's twenty nineteen. If you're gonna play UFC matchmaker for a second, I'm telling you it needs to be Tony. But do we see Habib twice? And if so, who what do you want? What, what's gonna happen here?
1: So who would he get after he beats Tony? You think he fights hmm. Tony in April? It's kind of got to be, right? Either that or 230. What if you put him at 235 and then you put Nick Diaz as like a main card fight, but you top it off with Brock against DC? Or do you spread it all out again because UFC needs to sell pay-per-views and sell events? Yeah, Because yeah. that to me, that March card in Las Vegas seems like the one where you go – and you try and go all out. So you that's your tentpole event for the summer Habib, or for the spring.
0: So Habib Tony and DC Lesnar in March is what, what you're going with?
1: With our boy Nick Diaz against wow. um, Jorge Masvidal. So
0: are you trying to build toward a Habib Nick Diaz pay-per-view? Is that where you're going here?
1: Yeah, that's what. No, I don't know. I think the only other person in the division that can give Khabib a good fight like that is Kevin Lee. And I think if Kevin Lee gets another big win under his belt against – I don't even know who. Um,
0: well, let me tell you that the great King Mo thinks Dustin Poirier, his teammate, is the only one that can beat Habib.
1: Yeah, I don't see it. I just don't see it. Could be. I mean Dustin's great. I just don't think Dustin's wrestling is that good. Because Khabib was, I mean, Khabib takes down heavyweights, man. Like, alright. How, how
0: about this? How about this for a scenario? Cause what you said might not be insane. So let's say they do Tony Habib. Let's say Habib wins. Mm. Let's say Nick Diaz comes back and wins and looks, looks like Nick Diaz again. Then you give Habib a softer late 2019 pay-per-view main event fight that is meant to build his, his star even more. Nick is the perp- perfect foil for that. And at the same time you do Connor Nate 3 with the idea that you're sort of subtly building to Habib Connor 2 in 2020 when Hunter's got his mojo back. Well, I think we just we just booked the damn territory. I think we just fixed it right there. I think we know what works.
2: I could be fat. I could not have a six-pack, but my dick works. Yes! My dick works. It
0: still does, and so do we, we 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 I don't know how that correlates, but how about that sound? I didn't know that ever happened until I found it. <laughs> wow! It's pretty offensive. It's almost as offensive as this. Do they not know I'm half black?
2: Yay! Yeah.
0: Oh, come on, come on. I mean, I know a lot of, I know a lot of you forgot that ever happened. Remember that from the Brooklyn, uh, Floyd Conner? I I,
1: I thought you were just gonna let that sit there. I mean, I was gonna have to do something with it.
0: Yeah, uh, you're gonna have to remove it. Uh, that was really the darkest (laughs) moment of that press tour. Um, alright, uh, I wanna, I wanna finish up on, uh, matchmaking here. Give me a GSP fight for 2019 that matters under the guise that Dana's not gonna give him the Habib fight because they don't want they don't want GSP to hijack and drop the 155 belt. GSP doesn't want a Diaz brother or Anderson, it seems. He doesn't want Woodley. It seems like he doesn't, he only wants something that's going to elevate his legacy to the next level. I don't think there's anybody left if he can't get a title shot. So, do you build toward a Connor fight in fall of next year? And just take the two biggest brands, maybe, that you have in the company that can fight each other and make it happen?
1: In the fall, you're saying? I... I mean
0: if we abandon ship on the idea of the Nate trilogy and we go right to GSP Connor, catch weight, fall, have fun.
1: So GSP so Connor would fight in this theory cowboy in March, right? Get the mojo back a a little bit. Yep. See, I feel like another loss for Connor kind of ruins him. I don't know why, but I feel like if he loses again and just gets dominated. How are you going to main event this guy again? Yeah,
0: especially in a one-off situation like that where there's nothing – yeah.
1: There's nothing to gain. Like all it is literally just a, hey, let's go make some money fight. Because like there's no ill will between him and GSP. They like each other. They've had pictures together.
0: Then you know what? It might have to be GSP Silva. GSP just might have to swallow it and just be like, dude, you got to move up and fight and fight Silva. People have wanted it for years. We can get a cheap main event out of it. You can say you're the GOAT when you do it. I don't know. Maybe You know what? I just don't know what there is for him. You know, and and he's so stubborn. He's not going to come back unless it's perfect. So you know what? Maybe he doesn't come back. Maybe he doesn't fight again. Maybe that's it, bro. Maybe that's it. I'm happy with that. I got to see his last fight. (laughs) Because he doesn't care about fighting Askren. It's not like that helps his resume. Does it not? I mean, that's a big win if he gets it. it. It would help in theory, but I'm saying here's what I'm saying. GSP's on the short list of greatest of all time, right? If there's three or four or five guys at that table or six of the GOAT, he's at it. But you could argue he may not have a singular enough resume to say, I am the GOAT. I'm a GOAT, but I'm not the GOAT. I think the only way he can become the GOAT is by going to lightweight and being Habib for a third title. Or, I think, going in there and beating a prime Woodley right now a prime late career woodley i think then that would give him a, but it's got to be a a, a kind of fight that allows him to make that statement askrin's not that fight
1: who get who do you give the goat status to then john jones
0: I personally do, which is a perfect transition because it's UFC twenty-five week. We're just coming off of that, the anniversary, and our friends at MMA Fighting, along with a lot of other top websites, put out the commemoration, the rankings pieces. They did MMA Fighting a top twenty-five UFC fighters in history. Here's their top five. We can we can compare and contrast and say what we want. Number one, GSP, number two, John Jones, number three, DC, number four, Mighty Mouse, number five, Anderson Silva. John Jones is the greatest fighter of all time. There's messy situations with the two drug tests. But he's the greatest fighter any of us has ever seen. We're going to have to come to terms with that. If you want to make the case like MMA Fighting did, that with the two titles and with the clean legacy and reputation that GSP, the King of Bushido, is that guy, that's fine. You can make that argument. But I think John Jones, from a pound-for-pound status, is the greatest fight I've ever seen. I'd put him at number one. And, I don't know, DC's climbing, bro. I don't think he can get past Jones without beating him, but I think I may have made the case that by beating Stepe, that's the only way he was able to lap Jones. So I may put DC at number two. I don't know. It's, it's wacky and wild. But I don't think any – if you have GSP, Jones, and DC in your top three, you're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. If those are your top three in any order, you're not wrong, brother.
1: See, I – you got to put Anderson Silva there, man. How do you not have Silva in the top three? He's been – he had the longest defensive streak ever, went up to 205 for that one-off fight against Forrest Griffin, beat the crap out of Forrest Griffin while toying with him the entire time, and then, as you said, lost to Chris Weidman, was not beaten. He lost the fight. I don't know. To me, Anderson Silva is the greatest fighter of all time. John Jones is two, and I'll put GSP three. DC, to me, is not there. To me, heavyweight, Kane is better. If you ever saw a Kane DC fight, I think you would see why Kane is so much better at heavyweight than DC is
0: from a you can make that pound for pound argument that like of the fighters I've seen in their prime who's the best Kane's better than DC I, I can understand that as a wild card argument, but from this point of view, the goat, it's like the mixture of accomplishments with with pound for pound eye test and you can't have Kane in that top five because of the injuries.
1: Yes and no, but he was just as dominant when he was healthy. Like, yeah, he but had DC the surprising champ knockout champion. loss to JDS.
0: GC moved up and knocked out the heavyweight champion, bro. He's gotta be in the Who top three. Who has a
1: bad chin? We've seen this. He oh, doesn't that. have a chance.
0: He was Steve Bay had broken records for title defenses. He was the guy. That fight, if he won, we were gonna have to write the pieces that he was the greatest heavyweight champion they ever had. And DC punched him right in the damn mouth. And you know this man. DC has nothing to apologize for. It still works. The thing he said still works. I can be
2: fat. I could not have a six pack, but my dick works. It still
0: works, bro.
1: <laughs> You're out of control today. I don't know. I think we – okay, we're giving Stipe all that credit. And granted, I was the one waving that flag for Stipe because, hey, he had the streak. He had the streak that no other heavyweight could ever do for some reason at three. Congratulations, Stipe. He also fought a lot of washed dudes at heavyweight. And then he fought somebody at heavyweight who was actually good. Like for all the crap that people give DC, DC is still a really good fighter. And he finally got to fight at his natural weight. He didn't have to cut to 206.2. He didn't have to do any of that. He was able to just go out there
0: and fight. And he showed it. Yeah, boo him all you want, bro. Boo him all you want. Boo me!
2: I'm getting money in championship belts! What's up?
0: Yeah, what's up? What's up, bro?
1: (laughs) I just don't see him as a pound-for-pound top five all time. Wow! To me...
0: Really? Come on, bro. The only loss was to Jones. The other one didn't happen.
1: Yeah, the the two times.
0: The only loss was against the greatest of all time, and he dominated everybody else. Dominated. Anyway, I think they got the right five, and I think if you're counting not just UFC but all-time – the GOAT table has six chairs right now. Fedor is the other chair, and I think these are the right five. I think Demetrius Johnson did get to this level. I think he will always have a seat there. I don't think you can make a case today's top three, though. I think he has to be in that four, five, six slot. Look, this is – We're to make, I mean, we're really picking hairs at this point, but I think it's a yeah. six-seat table. I think the other guys like Matt Hughes, BJ Penn, Jose Aldo, Liddell, whoever you want to put in there are the next level down.
1: And Khabib could be there if he has another few wins. I think
0: Khabib if he roster, gets to like thirty three or thirty four and O. True, but you got to beat more people than just RDA and Connor and Daryl Horcher. Sure, I mean, come I, on, come on, don't hey, worry. hey, hey, hey! You watch your mouth about so, Daryl so, Horcher. <laughs> the number one will send him location. Um, all right, yeah, I'm done with that. Uh, you don't have any thoughts on uh, Brock Lesnar and Ronda Rousey's recent WWE wrestling and how that relates to potential UFC returns or comebacks, right? Did you see that Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series got introduced as weighing 265 pounds did that did that poppy at all that he's definitely coming back do you care you want you don't want it on this talk you don't know like they
1: talk. they really did that yeah they did they announced they announced his weight at
0: 265 that's a was message. there was there
1: a scale in the in the no, in the that's, ring
0: that's a message that he's coming okay that's a message that he's coming and doesn't
1: that sound like he got he lost weight though because then they say that he looks. You told me he looked pretty small the last couple of times that they've showed him.
0: Yeah, he's trimmed down again. He's 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 in, he's in camp. He's ready. He's ready, bro. He's getting ready for for a fight return. That's all I'm saying on that. Uh, Ronda, um, she took a beating at Survivor Series. She took like seventy five kendo stick shots, like <laughs> stiff ones, to the point where she had like giant, gross, gruesome, like uh. Bruises with blood everywhere. I'll tell you what. She's been up and down in her WWE run, but when the when the stage is the brightest, she brings it physically. She's horrific on the mic, but she brings it physically, and she just took a hell hella beating for the sake of the sport. She did it all for the Nookie bro, and I'm I'm actually a little bit proud of her in that regard. You didn't watch. You don't care.
1: I didn't watch, but we already knew that she was never good on the mic. It was always just about performance for her, so good for her that she's actually performing well and showing people that, hey, she is as physical a beast as she always was.
0: Go around, they fine ass. Say. That's it, the WWE. Alright, really, let's
1: You really had to get the, the 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 black beast in here. Yes I did. <laughs>
0: Come on, bro. All the
2: training and all the sex I've been getting. Yeah, my body
0: ain't some time. That's my guy right there. That is my guy. Alright, we can preview time, and before we preview this this sloppy Super Bowl from the Forum in Inglewood, California, Saturday night, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz three. On pay-per-view, brought to you by the fine folks at Golden Boy MMA. Let's hear from the participants. Enjoy. Hey, Chuck, some people would say, you already won the war with two knockouts against Tito. What is it about him that would make you dislike him this much to go a third time?
2: Well, you know, I, I wanted to get back into the game. I got got interested in it, got excited about fighting again and I needed a tune up fight. And uh, I needed a tune-up fight we could sell. So, you know, uh Tito's a great tune up fight, he's a great uh, measuring stick for where I am and what my uh my comeback is and uh you know, if they, everything goes as planned on Saturday I'll be uh be ready to go and fight someone for real.
0: So if Tito's a tune-up fight, what type of plans do you have at this age to keep fighting? How many fights, how many years, what organization? What is Chuck's future going to look like with a win on Saturday? Uh, well, it, it'll
2: be a fight-to-fight uh, decision. You know, we'll, we'll see what, how it goes. I, I love fighting. I love being in the ring. Um, but, you know, it comes down to how, how I'm performing. If I, if I can't perform to the level I may, I, I expect myself to perform to, um, I, I, I will give it up. I'll, I'll hang it up for good. But uh, right now, I'm, I'm, everything's going at the gym, looking great. Um, and if, I can, if that translates into the, into the fight, we're,
0: uh, we're going to go again. You know, a lot of people are going to bring up your age in this one, Chuck. So what was the hardest part about training camp? Were there any moments where you questioned this decision?
2: There's no moment I question the decision. I mean, the hardest part is just recovery. I mean, you have, as you get older, it takes a little longer to recover, and, and uh, you got to be smart about training. But uh, we went through a very hard camp, and I, I made it through healthy. So I'm, I'm very happy with
0: how it went. There's going to be a lot of nostalgia here, Chuck, because people love the Iceman. They love the Mohawk. They love your always-all-business no all business attitude. You go in there to knock people out. So, you know... How excited are you to be that guy again? Because you're a superhero when you're a fighter, but then you return to the civilian world. How excited are you to be the Iceman again? Uh, I'm excited to be back
2: in the gym and back in the the, the fighting environment again. Uh, Training with all the guys and being out there every day has been a treat for me. Um, I'm so excited to get back out and fight again and be be in my world again. Um, This is going to be... no matter what happens on the time, it's gonna be a great experience for me.
0: So there's a lot of talk. When we break this fight down, people think Tito's younger. He's more he's closer to having been in a cage. He's, you know, only a year removed from fighting. Do you think this gives him his best chance he's ever had in this rivalry of beating you? Uh,
2: his best chance? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it does. I mean it, it is the best chance he's ever had. But he's never had a chance at all. So I mean uh I don't think that that makes a difference. That, that chance? Yeah, but it's not much of a chance. I mean, if I don't trip and break my ankle on the lane coming in the ring, I think he's in
0: trouble. All right, your critics are going to say Chuck, what happens if he takes you down early? What happens next? Um, I, I get back up and, uh, and, leave, and, and I knock him
2: out. It's, it's very simple. I mean, it's, I, I'm very good at getting off the bottom. If he if he does work hard and give me get a takedown, I will get back up, and I, I know and we will finish the fight.
0: What's What's been your sense of how big this fight is? You know, what, what are you hearing? Uh, how excited are fans to see this again? Well, my fans are very excited to see it again. I mean, it's the one thing when I was uh, retired that I got more than anything was, can you come back one
2: more time and just beat Tito up again? <laughs> um, so that, that was the most commonly asked question for fans. I want every
0: third fan I'd see would say that. You know, when Tito does win, Chuck, he does that dance that pisses a lot of people off. Is part of you wanting to win this to avoid having to lay there and watch him do that dance he does? <laughs> um, I, I don't
2: even have to get into that. I, I, I want to try to avoid listening to his mouth run for the rest of my life, yeah. I definitely do not want that to happen. Um, but that's what motivated me to get through this camp and, and, and go as hard as
0: I did and, and keep it keep it going. And, and I'm ready. It ain't going to happen. Now, Chuck, when people talk about the greatest of all time, the GOAT, the conversation in recent years is now including guys like Daniel Cormier, Demetrius Johnson, to go along with GSP, BJ Penn, whoever you want to put in there. Do you think your name is in that discussion where it belongs these days? <laughs>
2: Um, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I'm glad fans like the way I fought back back in the day watching watched me fight. And uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping they're going to love watching this fight. But I, I'm not really worried about it, being in that conversation. I, I think all those guys deserve to be in the conversation. So
0: I have no problem with it. Chuck, you had the style that was great because you were always willing to risk it all in order to win it all. You're not afraid to go in there and bang and take the chance of a knockout loss. Do you think enough fighters carry that spirit today?
2: You know, as a fan, I'd like to see it a little more. Guys trying to finish the fight a lot more than, than just eking out a win and making sure they win the fight. But, you know, it, it's one of those things, as a, as a manager and a coach, if I'm a manager, guy, a coaching guy, I, I just want to get the win and, and take as little damage as possible, so... But as a fan, yeah, I, I think I'd like to see a little more guys. But I, as of recent, I think my guys have found out that the more exciting you are, the, you know, the more, more attention you get, the better better uh, paydays you get. So they're uh, they're trying to, to put it out there a little more.
0: Chuck, how did you get the name the Iceman? That's something I've never actually known.
2: Um, actually, I got it from uh, my trainer, John Hackleman, when I was uh, first uh, – Doing a, a, a kickboxing, I was it was my third or fourth fight. I had a, I was like some fifteenth fight on the card, and we got there at five. And we were going to be there for five hours, and so he was going to take me up around eight thirty. Well, he went to come find me at eight thirty. and couldn't find me, and was looking all over, and he found me in a corner uh, with my head on a tie pad, sleeping right before, before my fight. So he, he started man, he only get nervous before fights, and he started calling me an Ice Man and, and stuff.
0: Love it, love it, Chuck. Finally, they always say power is the last thing to go in an aging fighter. How's the power right now? How do you know you still have it?
2: Um, I think that's the one thing I've had. I've, I've tried out a few different guys holding mitts for me, and I think uh, I think the most common thing I got from them was, "Damn, you hit hard." <laughs> you're the hardest, guy ever, you're the hardest guy I've ever hit.
0: Still bangs the Iceman, Chuck Liddell, Saturday night, Tito Ortiz, part three. Excited to check it out, Chuck. Best of luck to you, man. Hope we see you again. All right, man. Thank you. Tito. Ryan, how you
3: doing, man? Doing
0: good, Tito. Great to chat with you, man. Excited about this trilogy bout. Let's start right here. Chuck just told me. You're a setup fight, you're a comeback fight, you're a stay busy fight for his future. How do you respond to that?
3: Well, you know we're gonna have to find that out on Saturday night. He says I'm a up fight. <laughs> Man, this guy I think he's lost his mind over the last eight years. You gotta understand I've been competing over the last eight years. The last time I fought was last year, twenty seventeen, January, against Chelsea and choked him in two and a half minutes. My timing's there, my wrestling's there, my boxing's there, everything is where I need to be to be the best fighter I need to be to beat Chuck Waddell. And I'm going to show that on Saturday night.
0: How real is this hate, Tito? For you, we know he he hates you. He hates Tito Ortiz. What about you? Over the years, has has it been hard to swallow knowing he has won this famous rivalry?
3: You know, I think about. The, I forget about the past. I, I no longer think about it. I think about my future. What I'm going to do. What I need to do. And what I know I'm going to do. And on Saturday night, I'm going to show everybody what I can do. And he talks about the. Him hating me and this and that. You know, I remember last year, him coming to my table in Vegas and uh, drinking off my bottle. This guy uh, is just confused. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we are enemies. We're not acquaintance. We're not friends. And on Saturday night, I'm going to smash his face. And you know what? We won't be friends after either. No Love more uh, sipped off my bottle anymore.
0: Love it. Love it right there. So, look, the the fights, the two knockouts he scored over you were so long ago. I mean, it's it's multiple eras ago. Do you win the rivalry with a victory on Saturday?
3: I do win the rivalry on victory with a victory on Saturday. I'm just a faster, younger, stronger guy. Um, I've been at work now for 18 weeks for this fight. I put everything forward. People go, God, that's a long camp of 18 weeks. I just came off a neck surgery last year. But I believe in my mind. I believe in my body. I believe in myself of I can do this. I know I can do it. And like I say, I put myself through 18 weeks of hell. And I'm ready. I'm a fine-tuned fighting machine. And on Saturday night, I'm going to get my hand raised over Chuck Liddell.
0: So the big talk here is Chuck's age. There's video of you having watched him work out. You were laughing. What's going through your head when you watch 48-year-old Chuck Liddell, who, by the way, has got a nice set of abs. I'll give him that. But when you saw him put in his workout, what's going through your mind? Well, a
3: set of abs, you can pretty much buy those uh, by getting a nutritionist. I mean, Eat right, how hard is that? You know, We're talking about training. We're talking about sparring. We're talking about wrestling. We're talking about doing the grind to pre- prepare for a fight. Has he been doing that? And that's the biggest question. And on Saturday night, we're going to have to see that. Uh, I sat back and I watched him hit pads. You know, I, I kind of think he's sandbagging. You know, I think he's not really giving his all just because he knows I'm watching. But another thing that he doesn't know that's a little secret with me is all his training partners, his management, all the guys he went from he had before in the beginning of his career, through his whole career, he's no longer with those people anymore. He's with new guys that are in Huntington Beach, all of my friends, all the people I know. You don't think I know things that uh, he's doing? Of course I do. He's in my town, Huntington Beach. He's living in my town, Huntington Beach. He's one of, one of my best friends, Dave Thomas, as his manager, despite all a setup up to him, just so I get an opportunity to beat him down. And he doesn't realize it yet, but he's took it hook, line, and sinker.
0: Well, Tito, we know power is the last thing to go in any aging fighter, in any combat sport. He says he's been hurting people through the, through the pads. He's still got the power. He expects to walk you down and knock you out. The big question from the critics, I guess, of Liddell is what happens when Tito takes him down? I asked him. He says, I'm going to get right back up and knock him out. But the idea at this point, he's been out for a while. If you take this fight to the ground, is it game over?
3: Well, I mean, what if I keep it to fight on my feet and I knock him out and I beat him at his own game? I'm stubborn like that. And I want to give the fans the best fight possible. Takedown comes, takedown comes. He ain't getting up, I guarantee you, like that. He is not getting up. And he says he has the power, and he's people through the pads are filling it. Pads don't punch back. I'm punching back. And that's the way this fight's going to turn out. It's going to be punch for punch. Takedowns come, they come. I get a submission, it comes. I'm just going to get my hand raised on Saturday night. I want to make sure it's exciting for each and every one of the fans who are buying on paper review.
0: When you win big fights, you got the emotional celebration. You put the dirt on the grave. It's iconic. Will there be anything extra on top of that given that this is your biggest rival? The name in the history books is Tito and Chuck. Not so much separate. You guys will always be linked together. What would a celebration be like after beating Chuck on Saturday?
3: Well, that's going to be something you're going to have to tune in on Saturday night to watch. And I'm going to keep it at that.
0: <laughs> I love it. Look, a lot of talk about the business of this fight because boxing promoter Oscar De La Hoya going into the MMA space. And he's outright said, you and Chuck are going to make more money in this fight than in any other fight in your career. A lot of people going, whoa, really? What? what? How is that possible? Is there a certain threshold of pay-per-view possible, buys?
3: That, well, I'm sorry to cut you off. But how it's possible is De La Hoya is a fighter who's become a promoter. And what he's done for boxing has been amazing for the boxers that are up-and-comers. They're able to make the money back that every one of those fans are buying the pay you dollars. They're cut in as partners. Now, in mixed martial arts, we've never been a part of that. We've got maybe 2 3% of the revenue that has been streamed from the fight in general. With this fight, I'm cut in as a partner. Me, Chuck Liddell, and uh, Oscar De La Hoya, we're cutting this all in uh, thirds. And it's an opportunity that we'll be able to make some great money out of this just as long as the fans want to see one of the greatest fights of the year. And I think they're going to get that because I'm ready for it. Like I say, 18 weeks I put into it. I'm a businessman, so at the end of the day, when Chuck Liddell called me on, I saw a business opportunity of starting something new. Not just for me and Chuck Liddell, but for the future of many uh, MMA fighters out there who want to get paid the right money to go out there and put their life on the line.
0: Is there a certain pay-per-view threshold, a certain number of buys this fight needs to be a financial success for you? Uh,
3: I would believe, you know... 200, 300, but I think we're going to far surpass that. The last time me and Chuck Liddell fought each other, we got 1.4 million pay-per-view buys. So if we bust a 1 million break, uh, you'll see a smile on my face no matter what. You'll see a smile on my face anyway If so I get an opportunity to smash Chuck Liddell.
0: Why ultimately is this not a Bellator fight where you've worked with the, your last three or four times?
3: Well, I think the answer is just, uh, I just told you the answer. Why would I go to Bellator and be a contract fighter if I could be a business partner in something I put my life on the line for? I want to be a business partner of the um, whole organization in general. And I think this is something that has really caught my attitude and caught my mind and caught my eye of being able to give back to fighters. Be in the Oscar De La Hoya boxing, but be the Tito Ortiz of MMA. And that's my plan, and that's what I'm going to do. I
0: like that. I like that a lot. Uh, Tito, you're one of the all-time greats, surefire everything, right? You're you're already in the UFC Hall of Fame. So we like to debate on podcasts and such, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. In your eyes, who's the greatest mixed martial arts fighter of all time?
3: The greatest of all time? God, you got to think about uh, the guys who have given back um, – I'd have to say Hoyce Gracie. It wasn't for Hoyce Gracie. Uh, we, none of us would be sitting here right now. You know, um, The greatest fighter of all time, well-rounded, would have to go to Johnny Bones Jones. This guy, is, is, he's amazing. I hope uh, he can get his life uh, straight and together. I you know he's fighting uh, on the New Year's card for UFC, but he, he's an amazing athlete, a person who I look up to. Um, he beat my record of uh, five title defenses. I think he's at number seven now. But uh, hopefully he comes back and wins a light heavyweight title. But so we'd have to be the pound-for-pound pound best fighter ever in, uh, in mixed martial arts.
0: Uh, I'd have to agree with you on that one. That's a good call right there. And I mentioned sort of offhandedly that Chuck's your greatest rival in the history books. But you could argue and say Dana is your biggest rival in the history books. Do you think Dana White will be watching on Saturday night? And if he is, what do you think his emotions are going to be watching this third fight?
3: Oh, 100% he'll be watching this fight. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, Dana was a fan. At the end of the day, you know, Dana was me and Chuck Liddell's manager. There's going to be a huge interest. There was such a big interest into it for him that he didn't want Chuck to fight anymore because he knows I'm going to smash him. And I know he'll be watching. And whatever he feels, at the end of the day, I really think about uh, it's about me. I want to make sure I win. I want to make sure I get my hand raised. I want to make sure that each and every one of the people buying pay-per-view, they are entertained how I've been doing over the last 21 years. And that's what I've always done and always will do.
0: Tito, be real with us. If you would have had boxed Dana, what would that match have looked like?
3: I would have boxed Dana. It wouldn't have lasted a round. He knew better. There were so many obstacles and hurdles he had me try to make me jump. It was just uh, crazy. By the time I told him what was going to happen, it was three weeks before that thing was even uh, uh. going on uh, Spike TV. And he showed it, showed it anyways. And one thing I said is, do you not stand on the scale with your arms raised saying Tito T is a no-show? And what did he do? He had an opportunity to become one of the baddest men alive without even fighting
0: It's a close, Tito, and it's been great chatting with you. I already said Chuck looks at you as a stepping stone to more fights. For you, what does this fight represent, and if you win, is this it? Is this the end of the career for Tito Ortiz?
3: Yes, this is the end of the career for me. Uh, I'll go on to bigger and better business things, as I have after my last fight I um, went on and. Opened uh, T.O. Auto Group, my um, car company, Punishment Athletics, my clothing company, Time 360, my management company. And now it's really about uh, starting a new business with uh, promotion for martial artists and give them an opportunity to be businessmen themselves.
0: Love it. Best of luck, Tito. We're looking forward to some excitement on Saturday night.
3: Me too, man. I can't wait.
0: Take care. All right. Special thanks to my guests getting us all kinds of fired up there wise for this fight. We're not joking around. We're not, we're not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. This is a sloppy Super Bowl. This is a fight that arguably shouldn't be happening. This is a fight reminding you that both Bellator, who specializes in this crap and UFC turned down and did not want, but we're going to see it anyway. Before we talk about this main event, let's talk for three seconds about the undercard. It's pretty bad, bro. It's pretty bad. Glyson yep. Tebow, Efren Escadero, Kendall Grove. What else you got? Anything else? Nope. That's it. That's, that's, that's about bad. it. That's about it. Wow. Wow. They <laughs> couldn't get any Alvarez. They couldn't get anybody of no. Wow. Um, all right. This fight, um, this could be much ado about a minute and a half of nothing. It could be a really long, painful 15 minutes. Chuck Liddell has ripped abs. He's 48. He hasn't fought in like eight years. Got knocked the hell around the cage until Dana White, his friend, forcibly removed him from there. He's an all-time great legend, and we love him, and he's got a mohawk. He looks really old in the warm-ups. In the, don't tell him I said that, but he looks really bad in all the warm-up videos and media day workout things I've seen. Go get, Can you go get your boy? I mean, what is going on here?
1: I'm so scared for him. Like You said this could be either really quick, minute and a half, or 15 minutes. Dude, if this goes 15 minutes, I'm worried that we might have a Dada 5000 situation on oh. our hands because
0: – Stipulation, first one's heart to stop loses. Is that what you're saying?
1: <laughs> I mean, you're the one telling me how bad you think these videos are, and I cannot agree more because uh, he's 48 with brain issues. Like, how did
0: this get approved? And, you know, you, did, uh, you heard him talk. <sighs> he, he's, he's not done with this. He wants to keep fighting, win or lose. Still wants John Jones, bro.
1: God, don't do that.
0: Please so, don't do that ever. Tito has just make
1: fought. sure make sure this is quick. Tito, please, you know, just get this to the ground as quickly as you can. Make the referee stop it, dig your grave, do your whole dance, and then we can all go home and be happy, okay? <laughs> like just let's just get this over with.
0: It's a trilogy of their rivalry, which you could argue you could argue that it's the best rivalry in MMA history. I think, you know, specifically Cormier and Jones has eclipsed that, but look, the uh, for a lot of ways, the UFC was built on the two Tito Chuck fights. It's even, in even more important ways than the Bonner Forrest Griffin first fight. I really do believe that. Look, they were the, you know, along with Tito Shamrock, these were the first pay-per-views that sort of really mattered in terms of building two grudge match trash talkers. But that was like friggin' 20 years ago, okay? Chuck won both by knockout. Now we're getting a third. The problem for Chuck here is that he can hate Tito all he wants, but Tito's still somewhat, I mean, he's washed. He's hella washed. But he's still somewhat <laughs> close to having been an actual fighter, right? He's 43. Hasn't fought in a year, but he fought a couple times in the past few years with Bellator. And you know what? He didn't look awful. I mean, he beat Chael.
1: Yeah, I mean, he beat uh, heavyweight Grand Prix participant Chael Sonnen.
0: (laughs) I mean, he he, it's like this is our compliment. He didn't look horrific. That's really our compliment. But, like, (laughs) he looked like he still got something. I don't want to say he still got it, but he still got something. It's hard to believe, obviously, at this point, despite those shredded abs, that Chuck has Anything, And that's where it gets scary. The best hope for this fight, I think, really, is that it's two and a half minutes and that it's a war. And that both, you know, take some shots and show some damage. And maybe Tito brings it to the ground. Maybe Chuck gets up. Chuck rattles him. And then we figure out who's going to win at that point. If it gets to anything gross where there's gassing involved or there's long stretches on the ground. Or really the worst case scenario for the fighters is that this turns into a three round war where there's a lot of head trauma. We don't need that, but I mean, Tito beat Stefan Bonner? Tito friggin' arm triangle choked Alexander Shlomenko. I know he's a smaller guy moving up, but then again, that was four years ago. Let me stop talking about the fact that Tito's any good. Tito's awful, but Chuck has the potential to be really, really bad. Wise, I need a prediction. What does this fight look like?
1: Yeah, I think I laid it out already. I think this goes quick. I think Tito just takes Chuck down whenever he feels like it, just because... how. How much takedown defense can Chuck still have? Like, But he he his, always had it, though.
0: He always had it. That was sort of the sneaky part did. of this game.
1: I mean, he did, but he's 48, and like you said, he's barely mobile at this point. He's going to be able to get taken down pretty quickly. I think this gets done in the first round by ground and pound from Tito. Uh,
0: I can't argue with that. That's really that's what's going to happen. That's really what's going to happen, unless Chuck lands a Hail Mary and just wobbles poor-ass Tito. Which,
1: which, that's what? That's our best-case scenario here for Chuck? Like, just landing one of those crazy, old-school Iceman shots that Tito doesn't see coming somehow and gets crushed by?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a sad reality of where we're at right now, okay? I'm sorry. That is that is where we are at right there. Um, The business side of things. Oscar says both fighters will make more money in one night than they ever have. There any, can we buy that? Is there any truth in that, or is that like, oh, the caveat is, if it does a million pay-per-view buys.
1: While at the same time today, they lowered their pay-per-view price for this fight.
0: Ooh, what what they Just lower it to?
1: $39.99 from $49.99.
0: So it was at 50 and Oscar <laughs> was going all around the media wave saying, this is a discount for the fans. I've recently put on fights that are $75, 84 99 $100. This is a discount for the fans. This undercard blows. In fact, Oscar may have considered putting like not necessarily connect see the zone should have bought this let's be honest
1: i don't know why they didn't we talked about it a little this. bit i don't understand why the wasn't like hey tito chuck we'll give you a little bit more cash and whatever the hell oscar keeps telling you that he's going to give you and we'll put this on the zone where people will actually be able to find it
0: people would go out of their way to see it on the zone i think and then you could have put some boxing matches maybe you could have partnered see it's weird that bellator wanted no part of this i think there's an inside story there because th- again Bellator lives for this. Tito's been all over the Bellator airwaves. This is a Bellator fight a million degrees. And Chuck, by the way, is on the outs with UFC. Not like a a, a a divorce, but, you know, remember he had a job for life until the along with Matt Hughes until the new owners came in and they got rid of those two jobs for life. So Dana doesn't want Chuck doing this fight, although obviously they love Chuck. They allowed Chuck and Tito, by the way, to be at the red carpet for the Hall of Fame at UFC 226 week in July and, and kind of promote this fight. So they're like... They're they're supportive in a non-supportive way, but at the same time, this is a Bellator fight, dude. Why is this not on the zone? It's very interesting. Pay per view prediction wise, though, this has a potential to be to, to to do really bad numbers because they unless they come out at the at, you know the next forty eight hours and go all right, it's actually we're, we lied, it's going to be a a twelve dollar pay per view. Then you might see five hundred thousand buys, maybe right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just don't think that they've done any marketing for this at all either, which is the bigger issue. Because if I wasn't in the industry covering the sport, I wouldn't know how to watch this fight this weekend, much less that it's actually happening. (laughs) So this is one of those to me that the people that illegally stream it is probably higher than the people who buy it and by a big margin. Because why are you paying for this (laughs) if you have the option and you trust your computer virus software to protect you, why are you paying for this to so just be sad in a corner and be like, oh, this was the glory days of UFC in 2005?
0: Oh, God. Uh, will we see Tito or Chuck again after this? Win or lose. What do you got?
1: Will we see either of them fight or just, like, living?
0: <laughs> this think... will not only bankrupt Golden Boy MMA, it will end the <laughs> lives of both fighters. No, um, I hope we don't see Chuck again. I hope no one, like... No state yeah. commission or no promoter, but like, I'm done with Tito too. We, that that victory lap was a little too long.
1: Yeah, I mean, just let him. Like, why are you not happy just being a trainer anymore? Like, you cannot be making that much more money doing this than you are as a trainer or a gym owner. Like Bro, there's no, gotta be this something is a drug.
0: there. The fight is a drug. And I'm sure that there's financial reasons for Chuck doing this, I'm sure, but the fight is a drug. You know that. That's why these guys keep coming back for more. I mean look, am I surprised by this? Hey, I'm not surprised, mother. Oh, oh well, oh, come on. We don't we don't say those words on this show. Um let's talk about real fights, and that's this Saturday from the Cadillac Arena in Beijing, China. Wow, UFC fight night going international again. You know what time this starts? Is this one of those like two in the morning starts?
1: 6.30 a.m.
0: Oh, wow. Breakfast with Wimbledon here. Break up with uh Breakfast with Blades. It's a rematch. Heavyweights, Francis Ngannou, the former title challenger, against Curtis Razor Blades. Himself, by the way, you know, one of the more hot heavyweights at the moment in terms of win streaks. We know Ngannou's coming off two straight losses. But the real hook here, wise, is that they fought in only Ngannou's second UFC fight, April 2016, And it was a TKO doctor stoppage in the second round for Nganu in Croatia. But Blades made him work. Blades took him to the ground. And Blades, up to that point, was the only fighter that made things difficult. Can we make any correlation between the first fight and this fight or is too much changed in the in-between? What are we going to see here?
1: See, this is one of those where we've seen so much of the bad press for Francis lately where you have Dana saying that he needs to go see a therapist because – who loses their invincibility that quickly when you get beat against Stipe? Because, again, he put on one of the worst performances we've ever seen in the Octagon when he fought Derek Lewis earlier this year. I think Curtis Blades has potential to be a heavyweight champion.
0: No, I don't no. know if it's
1: – what?
0: You mean that? A heavyweight champion, bro?
1: You, He's still really young, man. He is a really good ground fighter and – he got stopped because he's cut. The cut was too big, and they were like, "You're gonna, you're just gonna bleed out here." So I don't know. I think Curtis comes out and looks a lot different than he did the first fight. I think that he's able to take Francis down because Francis still is raw as a talent. He's still just a very big, powerful dude, and Curtis takes him to the ground. I don't know. If, I don't know if Francis knows what to do at this point because we haven't seen him be able to do anything. Stipe showed you, hey, this guy doesn't have anything when he gets taken down. So I think if Curtis takes him to the ground, this fight might be over in the first two rounds.
0: Yeah, this is a really interesting fight, and I don't mean to crap on Blades. Now, the loss to Ngannou was just his sixth pro fight, and it was his UFC debut, and he's won every fight since then. He's on a six-fight winning streak, although one of those fights was overturned to a no contest after Blades was tested positive for marijuana after a stoppage of Adam Milstead. But the point here is that Uh, In that streak has been wins I didn't think he would get, right? He took the decision from Mark Hunt in Australia, and then he stopped over him with vicious elbows. So I don't see him, though, as a somebody – I see him as somebody who will eventually, if he keeps winning, get a title shot. I just don't think he has it, particularly as a striker, like this upper-level elite ability where he's going to get over the top on one of these guys. There's a lot more at stake for Ngannou, I think, in this one because three straight losses he's done as the idea of that he's anything. I mean, certainly not UFC's original Mike Tyson as they pushed him into when he came back after one month from knocking out Overeem to get that title shot against Stipe and you laid out what happened. But this would be really, really bad for Ngannou to lose this coming off of that awful fight against Derek Lewis. I want to see what he's learned. There's a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Blades is solid. Blades is strong. Blades can expose you a little bit. But I don't, even with the stoppage of over him, I don't think Blades is that dude. So I think Ngannou's got an opportunity here. He's going to show you some flaws because he's not a perfect fighter. But hopefully he has uh, buttoned up a little bit on the things he's bad at. And just put the oil on the muscles and it's going to come out there guns blazing.
1: Hey, I hope I wake up on Saturday morning and I get to see a gigantic knockout from Francis because I think Francis is such a fun dude to watch when he's in there and just swinging for the fences. But I think Curtis is just a smarter fighter from that standpoint where he realizes, hey, I can't stand and trade with you. I'm just going to grab your leg, take you down, and I'll figure it out from here. So, But to go off your point, if Curtis wins this fight, what do you do with him? Because he's then the number two or number one contender for the title behind Stipe or Derrick Lewis, if you want to put him in against Derrick Lewis. But I don't think Derrick Lewis against Curtis Blades does anything. Stipe Curtis would be a pretty good fight, though, I think, if you don't end up giving Stipe the rematch that he keeps saying he's holding out for against DC. I just think Curtis Blades, if he wins this fight, he's proven more than enough that, hey – I deserve a title shot or I deserve to be the number one contender in the division.
0: I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Still a shallow division. Brock could certainly mess things up. Um, DC's already said if Brock can't go in the spring or if, you know, cause look the, the wrestling news that came out was that with Roman Reigns, the top WWE star having leukemia that Vince McMahon threw a lot more money at Brock and secretly resigned him through WrestleMania in April of next year. So We don't know if Brock's coming back. We assume he still will. There's language in the contract that would allow him a UFC one-off. If he doesn't come back, DC said Stipe will get the shot for the retirement fight. It makes sense. But John Jones is still hovering in the air over this division. I still think DC is going to fight either Stipe or Brock in March. He's going to beat that person. He's going to retire. He's going to do the retirement tour on all the TV shows. He's going to blah, blah, blah. And then he's going to come back and fight John Jones at the end of the year. I mean, that's just what's going to happen, all right. And that might hijack the heavyweight title for a while. So you may have to end up seeing your scenario, which is next spring, late spring, Stipe versus Blades if he wins here, or Stipe and Ganu too, to see if anything has changed. Because there's really nobody else. Why? Who else is in this division that's that's has isn't coming off of three losses? I mean, who else is? Is there a pulse? Anyone with a pulse?
1: Alexei Olenek.
0: Never happened. Never happened.
1: <laughs> Alexander Volkov? Uh,
0: no, 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 no. Who's this Marcin guy? Marcin Tybura? No, no, no. Who's, uh, Roy right, Nelson? Right Who's Sergey Pavlovich? <laughs> He'll be in the co main on Saturday against Aleister Overeem. You know anything about this guy? He's making I his do UFC not. debut from Russia. Nothing, right? Nothing.
1: I do not, but I told I actually told you this when I was, I played the UFC 3 video game, and Alistair Overeem is one of those fighters who has been in the game for so long that they just kept simming him forward, and his career record ended up being 73 and 31 or something. So I feel like this is the kind of place where we're at, where Alistair, where he's just going to fight forever against Create-A-Fighter, and he will just keep <laughs> making his $400,000 every time he steps into the Octagon because he's such a name and he doesn't care. He just wants his money.
0: Yes. All right. Well, that wraps up this show. There's nothing else to say about the card. I'm sorry. There's nothing else to say about it. I don't think you want me to break down uh, Zhang Wiley against uh, Jessica Aguilar. You don't care.
1: I just want you to say all the names. I think that would be the more fun. The show is
0: over. Hey, special thanks to our guests. Uh Hey, if you're going to buy that pay-per-view, enjoy it. Liddell Ortiz 3. It's going <laughs> to be a wild time. Golden Boy MMA is back. Or for the first time. Or for one night only. We'll find out. Wow. Wise, you brought it. You, you 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 potted like a real ghetto man.
1: Ghetto man, and he fights in a ghetto way. Yes,
0: he does. Absolutely. Thank you for joining me. Hey, can they follow you on social media anywhere?
1: At Brandon Wise 65.
0: Hey, take that. 65 the old football number from uh Boca. It was the old Boca football High number. North Thank you. lower Florida State Championship offensive line. No, nothing.
1: It was also my height, so all right, all right. it just kind of works like that.
0: Uh yeah, check out our other offerings this week in the Combat Sports World and uh, you know, get bent. We out.